This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, we're going to talk about advertising and its effectiveness. And I'm joined by one of the top marketing chiefs in the business and one of the foremost advertising analysts. Mark Evans joined DirectLine Group in 2012 and has overseen the transformation of its brands and marketing approach, including the award-winning reinvigoration of the flagship DirectLine brand. He is a previous Marketing Society Marketer of the Year and a big supporter of education and inclusion in the industry. Orlando Wood is the Chief Innovation Officer at System One, a global market research and effectiveness business. He's the author of the book Lemon, How the Advertising Brain Turned Sour. And Orlando has recently partnered with Facebook for his latest research, Ashtung, which explores how to attract and sustain advertising's most sought-after resource, attention. Mark and Orlando, welcome to The Dog and Bone. Hello, Martin. Good to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. So we're getting towards the end of an incredible year. Christmas is nearly upon us, and most of the big Christmas advertising campaigns are here. We're going to talk about the effectiveness of advertising generally, but let's start off with Christmas ads and find out what your favourite one is that you've seen so far, starting with you, Orlando. I think I'm going to pick an ad that probably few in Adland will pick. Um, and it's an ad that does want many of the things that um, that I think connect with people. And it's it's Kevin the Carrot and it's uh, Aldi's ad um, because it does all the things that, you know, put a smile on people's faces and on the general public's face. It's extremely popular with the general public and it has kind of character, it has incident, it has place and it has a narrative that unfolds and it references many other things in culture. And um, it's uh, been getting better and better year after year, you know, so in our testing from three through now to 5.8 stars. And these things, through these fluent devices, as I call them, take time to build. But that's uh, that will be my pick. And uh, I suspect it's not really on Adlan's uh, radar, but I think McCann need a big shout out for it because it's, uh, it, it's, it's connecting very well with the general public. OK, thanks for that. Orlando. I'm sure Kevin is on the radar of the industry, maybe not quite in the centre, but we can explore why that is in a bit. And we also need to find out a bit more about System 1, I think, and how you measure these things. But Mark, you'll have some views on this from a personal preference point of view and as a marketeer. What makes good advertising at this time of year or any other for that matter? Happy to give an opinion. Of course, I'm very much at risk of then uh, my opinions being trashed because Orlando will have the data, of course, on on what's effective. But 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 here we go. I mean, actually, it's not a one word answer because I think it's worth saying that it's it's quite a mixed bag this year. Maybe more so than I remember. And there's definitely some notable duds. So I'm not sure if it's the form, but you know, for example, O2 um, Walkers, as a few just sort of literally washed over me. I thought they were wallpaper and probably a waste of of good money. But again, Orlando will probably prove me wrong. Um, my, my short list, just to narrow it down, did include Aldi, because um, I think, as Orlando has said, it's carried through many of the assets that have been successful, continuation of the story, it's entertaining, it's lighthearted, uh, and so on. I actually had, had Burberry there as well, just because it was a bit unexpected. And I like the storyline, again, good drama and unfolding. But I, I'm actually going to go for something also a little bit left field. 
which is which is DFS. I, I never thought I'd ever say this, um, but it was lovely. You know, it was so uncharacteristic and removed from their normal, you know, um, uh, pilot high, sell it cheap sort of stuff. Um, and it was obviously the Wallace and Gromit story. And it uh, did everything that I know works well from advertising, drawing upon very notable characters, having an engaging storyline, a, a good, decent bit of uh, product feature, but also nice and charming as a, a Christmas experience. Um, so, yeah, yeah that, that was actually my winner. There was a point in time when I said McDonald's because it really talked to somebody who's got a 15 year old son who who my wife and I at the moment would say we sort of we've lost him somewhere and we, we hope he'll come <laughs> back at some point in time. So it was a very nice insight. But I think that's because it was very specific to my, my my life circumstances. So, yeah, who'd have thought DFS at the top? Well, you, you know, you got your finger absolutely on the pulse there, because in system one's uh testing for emotional response amongst the general public that's number two uh, after kevin the carrot and it, you're absolutely right you know it has um actually it's, it's drawing on their campaign with the with the sort of cloth type puppet characters but doing it with with something that people tend to associate with christmas which is wallace and gromit and uh doing it very well and and you know it it it, it sustains our attention you know, because think people doing unusual things in in interesting places is what holds attention, ultimately. Well, I, well, I am humbled because I thought there was a bit of a wild card, but, <laughs> no. but maybe not. But but no. so, so somebody somewhere in the DFS marketing team needs to win a few awards uh, because it must have been quite hard in a in an organisation that's been so sort of heavily performance re- performance oriented to advertising. Um, in an out-and-out retailer for a number of years to sort of be so bold to make that break into a new a new territory. Well, I mean, you could you could say perhaps a similar thing for Aldi as well, uh, given that it's a, a retailer that tends to focus on logistics and supply and and you know having uh, all of that sort of thing sorted out. And but it's wonderful that we see that they're topping the list. Really yeah, I, I, it's I, I always think a great sign of success of an advert is when your competitor sort of has a has a product. Or has a has a nod or even a go at your advertising, and of course, the, there's a moment where where little uh, do you know sort of um, sacrilege sacrilege, but have a go at Kevin. Of, of course, Orlando, what we haven't talked about so far, and again, I guess you'll you'll come on to the numbers is we haven't mentioned John Lewis at all in this last five minutes, and um, you know, I I thought again it was sort of it was quite nice, and it had an homage to the snowman, and it was clever, but. But I just never really, I just didn't ever really quite got going. And I thought it was the weakest one they've had in some time, shame to say. You know, if you want to know what general public think, it's 4.4 4. 4 stars. And, uh, you know, it comes in at around sort of number 20 or something like that. It's it's unusual, isn't it? Because it's got, it's got, it's touching. It does have some very touching moments, but they, they've deliberately pushed narrative to one side. And so it is a it is a set of sequences. You know, it's the same sequence essentially repeated, repeated, and it doesn't quite, you know, doesn't have a, a normal narrative flow. And so you know, the focus becomes on on, on the, the convention of storytelling itself. So what's what's it doing? What's it trying to do? You know, and that's that becomes the the focus of us. You know, when we look when we're looking at it. And I know that um, I was listening actually to uh, Rick. Um, Brin talk about it. For, he's the you know creative director at DDB on the campaign Christmas podcast uh, last week, and you know he said they deliberately wanted to do something that wasn't a single narrative that pushed back against um, you know that all the Christmas ads they'd done before that that 
didn't look like them. You know, there was a sort of sense that we want to do something different and novel. Um, and that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's quite in their work to hear that. And it was interesting actually to hear their conversation because uh, he was in conversation with um, uh, David Colbert at Droga 5 and Vicky Maguire at Havas, you know, the, the creative uh, chiefs. And they were talking about their, you know, the, the Christmas campaigns. And actually the, the, the campaigns that they tended to pick, by and large, as their favourites, were quite different from the campaigns that, that we know that the audiences really enjoy. And that, you know, I think it shows a sort of uh, a separation between... Advertising and those who work in it, and and the general public, and we need to kind of close that gap a little bit. I think. Explain a bit more about this gap in your view, Orlando, and I'm sure Mark will tell us something about it too. But why is there this gap between what senior creatives want to produce and what uh, your methods find resonate with the general public? I think actually what what we see happening today uh, is very similar to the modernist movement in the early 20th century in art when um, artists deliberately sort of set out to provoke, shock, sometimes mock. I think there is a sort of desire to do something new and something that kicks back against tradition in some way. And sometimes you see this in the Christmas advertising. There are a few examples we could perhaps talk about. But, but no, I think I think you know what you tend to find in these in advertising today has many of the features of that modernist movement: the the, the stare into camera, this adversarial stance, um, and the uh, also the kind of breaking up of time and space, so that you don't you know you don't get a narrative anymore. Um, things are just broken up into smaller parts, very much like modernist art, if you can imagine, work of Picasso or others, um, and you know the sort of uh, focus on 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 the on the sort of conventions of storytelling rather than the doing of storytelling, and, and um, work has become quite self-conscious. So uh, it, it's a bit like uh, it, for me the sort of unfolding of the modernist art movement, and. Uh, the general public still quite like, uh, you know, all the things that they've always liked. And um, so you get this sort of movement apart of, of Adlan's intelligentsia and, and the general public. So I suppose you could say there needs to be a bit less art house and a bit more Saturday night at the movies, maybe. Well, actually, a bit, a bit less Berber and a bit more Barber. Um, so if you look at Barber's ad, um, Barber is Raymond Briggs's snowman. And, uh, you know, rather nicely told story um, uh, in that in that sort of style. And, it, you know, it, it 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 tests, you know, very well. People connects very well with the general public. What's your perspective, Mark, on that? I mean, have you picked up on it's any about of that? The, you know, the, what position you, you, you your vantage point is um, for, for Adland, the, the, the making of advertising is a, you know, is a, uh, a holy experience. You know, it's that it has so much grandeur and importance for for punters watching the tv it's just that possibly irritating possibly entertaining bit in between what i, re I really want to watch um that notwithstanding that really great advertising doesn't quite feel like advertising and hopefully some of the work that, that we've done in the last few years isn't doesn't quite feel like advertising but 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 of course you know we take it all much more seriously um and i'm, I'm just focusing on the Sainsbury's advert for a moment where I, th I think it was kind of 
pretty weak, pretty average, and has had more attention for issues around diversity and racism. So it, it might have become a good ad through the reaction to it and then the counter reaction and everyone getting behind for all the right reasons. But I thought the ad itself was was rather poor. Um, but 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 of course, the thing is that you know the, the role of the creative is to push boundaries. And yet there are clearly devices and rules that have always worked, work today and will always work in the future because, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary biology mean that our brains are wired a certain way and that's not going to change overnight. And and stored memory structures last a lifetime, uh, and which is why all the work of Ehrenberg Bass and um, distinctive brand assets and mental availability is so crucial because you can easily forget yourself. And I, di- I didn't know, Orlando, the story about John Lewis suddenly thinking after many years of success, let's try something completely different for, for, for the heck of it. I mean, you, you've, got to, you've got to be humble in the face of the fact there are some things that work. And you talk to it extremely well in terms of some obvious things like leveraging characters that create memorability, having some drama, having some sort of fixed points that enable communication to permeate into people's brain cells and stay there. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a tension giving the creative community the opportunity to do something dramatic and get cut through. But let's, let's, let's not forget some of the basics is, is the obvious point. Mm. No, absolutely. And, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, the, you know, the sorts of things that attract and sustain attention, it is basically the living, it's the out of the ordinary, something unusual happening, and, and in, a, in a place that, well, broadly relates to the real world you know in some sense so uh, but but you know a lot of advertising I mean, not beyond just christmas i'm talking here but a lot of advertising can't really be described in those terms you know who's involved what happens and where is it set that that and because by the way doing that sort of advertising of course costs money because you've got actors you've got costumes you've got you know things uh you know that that are, that are quite expensive to do and perhaps that's why Christmas is the one time of year when we see some of those things coming to the fore, you know, when budgets are put in into them. So, so Orlando, I've got a really sort of plonky metaphor here and just see if it works for you. But I think advertising is a little bit like Velcro. You know, you've got those tiny little hooks to try and hold on to something and create something rigid and firm. Um, and, and that's why getting those hooks, if you like, into memorable music, memorable characters, memorable circumstances you know, things that people can relate to. The, the, the only risk of this is you sort of get into a conversation about, well, it's sort of advertising by numbers, painting by numbers. But I, I still think there's huge scope for creativity. But, uh, you know, that, so, so Velcro, is that, is that absolute nonsense? Yeah, I think it's a great, that's a great uh, metaphor. And I'm all for metaphors. So Sarah Carter, co-author of How Not to Plan, uh, uh, works at uh, Planning Partner at DDB, described in the creative development process as a, as a burr. You know, those things that stick on your, your clothes as you walk through long grass. What's the thing that sticks? Somehow, for some reason, people end up talking about it, even though you, you know, you, it wasn't deliberate, perhaps even, or, or it was perhaps something that just came up in the spur of a moment. There's, a, there's a, a, an agency in Ireland, Boys and Girls, who they were telling me a story of one of their ads for a, a kind of curry sauce. And for some reason, they, they started calling it Chips Curry. And uh, rather than curry chips, you know, and, and for some reason, chips curry just sticks um, and it became the campaign, you know, and lots of examples of this in advertising where something that is perhaps the wrong way around or sounds slightly different or counterintuitive somehow sticks. And it's and the trick is to find those things that 
that do stick. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast, brought to you by Propeller Group and hosted by me, Martin Lote. If you're enjoying the show, please do give us a star rating as you see fit. Subscribe to the podcast, or better still, leave a review, letting us know what you think and what you'd like to hear about next. But for now, back to our conversation. So we've talked a little bit about Christmas advertising and some of the rules of storytelling, but surely this year has been a year like no other. So what accommodations and compromises has advertisers had to make to produce effective advertising off the back of the global pandemic? I mean, we've done quite a lot of work on kind of the sort of advertising that connects with people in the pandemic. And, you know, back in April, probably when a lot of people were thinking about Christmas advertising and, and what it would look like, um, we found that all of this, as I described, right-brained features in advertising, so people, place, uh, you know, characters, all of those things, were connecting just as well, if not better, than they always do. And they always connect very well with people. So these re recurring characters, scenarios, what I call fluent devices, um, these... Uh, this emphasis on place, local community, betweenness, connection, um, things set in the past, all of these things work really well. And uh, probably because in part they operate in a slightly parallel world, some of them, a sort of slightly fairy tale world that's sort of related to this one, but, but is in an advertising world, uh, that enable you to do all of those things still and that connect extremely well. And what wasn't working was advertising that... Uh, told people what to do, that pointed the finger at them, uh, that said, uh, you know, that we stand in distant solidarity with you. Um, that, that sort of work was not connecting well. And mechanistic advertising, this sort of very left-brained, unfeeling, uh, sort of hitting you with rhythm and, and, and all sorts of other things. And what's interesting is, is when we come and look at the Christmas campaigns now, and we look at the brands and how they performed last year and how they performed this year, by and large, advertising has done a very good job because it's pretty much exactly where it was last year. It's connecting as well for those brands than it was, you know, as it was last year. But those that have referenced COVID have dropped on average 1.1 stars. And those that haven't have stayed the same or done it even slightly better. So without exception, anyone who's mentioned COVID explicitly has dropped a star rating. People don't want to be reminded of the everyday reality around. They need a bit of escapism at Christmas. And this is the one time that, you know, we can we can certainly give it to them. So, you know, that's I think that's that that was a fascinating finding. It's. Um... It sort of harks back a little bit to dull advertising that just feels like normal advertising is not where we want to be. You want something which does stand out and uplift and doesn't quite feel like advertising. I mean, my perspective is that the marketing marketers, advertisers have very much been, uh, you know, it depends on what sector you're in. Some sectors have been on fire, others have been a disaster. So never has it been so true that, uh, you know, there's things outside of your control. But nonetheless, I mean, what you said absolutely chimes that there's a, there's been a lot of sort of reasonably depressing advertising because um, kind of we all know what's going on in the world. Um, we can get our news feeds and, and also a bit low rent. And, and I was going to ask you about this. Surely that connotates potentially in people's minds low, low quality. Because I can think of Dollar Shave Club as an exception where it made a virtue of being low rent. 
But um, pe- people always say, you know, many of the campaigns I've been involved in, oh, that must have been expensive to produce. Uh, and, and I always think, and don't always say out loud, but one, well, actually, we got a pretty good deal, so, so no. But secondly, I think that's important because there's this thing in people's minds where an advertiser is putting it all in uh, and, you know, um, is at risk of losing a lot of money for the fact that they're not living up to their promises kind of creates a sort of a contract in, in, in customers' minds. So, so my, my particular view would be um, the, the brands that have done best this year have had some element of continuity not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, maybe reappropriated their adverts a little bit, but but not being entirely distracted by the circumstances, which are transient. Yes, yes, and and there's very good uh, there are very good reasons to continue with that brand building, advertising th- through a crisis, as you know Peter Field would have pointed out, and has pointed out many times, and you know that that to to be able to show not only from a media investment point of view that brand building advertising is important in times of crisis but i think as as we at system 1 have done is to show that uh that the type of work that connects better in these conditions is more brand building in its nature is is fascinating isn't it um that those the, both from a creative and a media perspective that those things are going to work better in a crisis is is um i think pretty compelling but but i i also forgot to say what an amazing finding that there's a whole point drop on a five point scale in the in the mere mention of of, of covid um and, and i think this is the year when many uh advertisers will reflect on at the toughest of time they've probably wasted a fair bit of money um by sort of just you know zigging when everyone was zigging um interesting fascinating in fact we were struck by it too and when you look at the kind of top 10 of the ads at christmas most of them are about being somewhere else, doing something, seeing something interesting happen. You know, there, there's a sense of, of joy and escapism. And it's not it's not the humdrum, you know, um, and woe, woe is me. You know, you've got, you know, even Papa John's uh, with its fairly simple cardboard box uh, sort of thing. I don't know if you've seen that one. You're talking about how they're donating money to charity. You know, it uses the soundtrack, Tis the Season to be Jolly. And it's, you know, it's very uplifting, very simple, but it, it's very uplifting. Actually, just on that point, there was a couple of ads that have more explicitly referenced giving. And I think John Lewis had at least one campaign in its end frame. But it, but it, it wasn't integrated. It felt like a bit of a sort of afterthought. But, but maybe that's appropriate. You don't want to distract from the story. But it, it, it sort of almost emerged as a feature in this season's advertising, but, but not quite. I'd like to ask you both where you'd put something like Tesco's No Naughty List. They seem to be absolving the audiences of any indiscretions. Would you describe that as referencing COVID? Or is it all a let's put it all behind us style of attitude? It's an oblique nod, I think, isn't it? Um, I mean, there's, I think they're tapping into something. Um, you know, a lot of people are finding it very, very difficult to stick to the rules and to live in a, in a very regimented rule-bound society and are a bit fed up of being told what to do and and you know I think there's 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 perhaps a, a rich scene there but you know one has to do it carefully but uh, it's it's kind of it's tapping into that I mean he gets if, if you're interested 4.1 stars um, you know uh, so people seem to quite like it but it's not in the top flight as it were but it's 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 performing pretty well it, it it might be the one, therefore, that slightly breaks the rule that we've talked about um, in, in that it, it, it is kind of on your side. 
but it doesn't doesn't go heavy with it. It does it with a very light touch, and it, you know, and it is essentially vaguely funny, um, and certainly has some empathy. So I think uh, you know, having having a light touch around difficult subjects is poss- possibly you can get away with it. But as you say, it doesn't come out to the top of the tree. So there's there's still pitfalls. To pull off humour shows r- remark it is is empathetic in itself, isn't it? I mean it, uh, and the great thing about humour is that. Uh, it, when you when you make someone laugh, they're much more inclined to see your point of view, and that's you know it's been shown in psychology, and and they're they're more, uh, and they're actually quite grateful um, to you in some sense, and they're, and they're more open to your perspective. So uh, humour is so important, and we've seen it declining over the last ten years in the advertising that we test. Um, is one of the reasons why I wanted to focus on it so much in in Lemon. So, so um, you've reminded me of something which starts outside of advertising, uh, that you, people remember what you say for five minutes, they remember how you made them feel forever. Uh, and, um, you know, that seems to be the, the case here. But I, I just actually was going to ask you a question. I've probably meant to ask you this for, for years. That I, I had the pleasure of meeting somebody called Patrice Beauchamp, who was the um, sort of advertising guru for L'Oreal for ages. And, and he said that the, the line, because you're worth it, was absolutely hated in all research groups globally and yet to this day he would say he sees it as one of the most successful advertising lines ever um and so how did that work that it sort of alienated but attracted well it's it's very consistent i mean that's something that byron sharp uh talks a great deal about nirenberg bass um you know they stuck with that for they've stuck with it for years so in the end you know familiarity bring breeds not contempt but contentment um you know you sort of accommodate it shall we say the ads themselves i can't say hand on heart we tested every one but they would they're they're typically more kind of product focused show the product here comes the science bit which in itself is you know it's that sort of it's that sort of thing it's not that sort of thing but it's that it's going to it's going they're going to score fairly low down on the star on a star rating Um, but be quite good product ads largely but that that one consistent f- refrain is the thing that that you know has has helped them. I suspect. So so Orlando, I I just wanted to ask. I, I'm a avid consumer of your star ratings, um, not least because we've had a few good scores along the way. But anyway, um, ha- just it'd be useful for me actually to know a little bit more about how you get there. Sort of how many people do you sample? What questions do you ask? Just so that you can come out with the amazing lead tables. Sure. Well, we interview people are online so it's an online survey and they show we show them the ad and then we use a set of faces uh, based on the psychologist Paul Ekman uh, seven basic emotions plus neutrality and we ask people to select which face best describes how they feel and the reason we have the faces as well as the words there is that faces you know connect you know, they've reached parts that other that words can't really um, so people don't suppress or distort what they feel Anyway, over the years, we've linked this raw kind of emotional response to long-term business growth. So if you uh, give, you know, if you've got a high star rating, you're likely to have performed very well on happiness and surprise. The way people feel at the end of the ad is very important. When you uh, look at this in relation to market share growth and you look at it in relation to extra share of voice, what you can do is sort of develop a longer term uh, sort of measure of advertising effectiveness so that, that, that 
emotion or quality of advertising, if you like, plus quantity of advertising together help to explain this longer longer term market share shift up or down. So it's a, it's a way of correcting for, um, you know, or correcting your extra share of voice, dialing it up, dialing it down to give you a better sense of, you know, where you're going to end up in market share. Mark, we've spoken a lot about the creative side of storytelling at Christmas ads, but I really like to get your practical perspective as a as a senior marketeer about the organisational and production challenges this year has presented to advertisers. What's it been like? I mean, have you had to keep delaying things and tearing plans up? It's a great question. I think this has been a year where the word agility has been used quite a lot. Um, in, in truth, the lead times for creative development uh, and media purchase and deployment are, are shortening. So we will have seen for the first time some of the big broadcasters reducing their lead times from eight weeks to four. Um, so, so I think... Um, it, it, it's probably uh, getting a bit easier in that regard, and particularly as the world goes digital. But, but nonetheless, of course, marketing teams and agencies have, have, to be, have had to battle through how do we effectively and coherently work at home? Um, how do we communicate and keep working together? Um, so I think it's been a very, very choppy year. And if, if I think about our circumstance, we launched the new um, We're On It campaign for Direct Line two weeks before lock, the first lockdown. Uh, and we had a big cinema campaign and, you know, we had a big outdoor campaign and in a flash, those media channels no, literally no longer existed. So I think there's been a lot of conversation about agility. And in that, I think we have to discriminate between people running around like headless chickens, getting stuff done and saying, oh, we've been really agile, i.e. they've been fairly chaotic. And to be fair, we've done a bit of that versus those organisations that have been looking at this from a strategic point of view and adopting the Agile Manifesto a la Spotify, uh, which we have done. Now, in truth, we've adopted it through this year, moving from part of our head office to all of our head office working in an Agile way. Um, so I think it's allowed us to probably accelerate the organisational design that we were already looking to adopt. Um, but, but watch out for the overuse of the word agility when it really just meant now people are absolutely on the floor, mental health issues, knackered, exhausted, because it was just kind of all hands to the pump for a prolonged period of time. Needs must, but not in a particularly organised way. So, Lando, we've already touched on the Sainsbury's ad, perhaps more famous for the, the reaction it provoked than its, its impact. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But, but, but it's obviously become a more and more of a dominant theme in the last couple of years. And obviously in the wake of George Floyd's murder earlier in the year. Um, and I think in the sort of the context of a more reflective world around COVID, it's really become supercharged. So we saw lots of diversity representation into Christmas advertising, um, including, I think, for the first time, the Debenhams ad did feature a child with Down syndrome. Um, from the data, do, does it does it matter from an effectiveness point of view? Sort of, we, we probably come on to talk about, so, you know, what's what's the right thing to do? But does it, is there any evidence that it actually matters from an effectiveness point of view? Well, it would be, it would be very good to do a dedicated study on it. And it's something that we're system one are uh, talking to partners about at the moment but when you look i mean if we look at the christmas ads and you look at the the t just the top 10 you know that really connected with audiences well nine of those feature people in some way and seven of the nine show people that are minority ethnic so a, a great proportion of them are representing minor minority ethnic people and they're also connecting very well with audiences you know i think by and large we ought to remember that people are generally you know fairly good people and that audiences um you know are fundamentally 
good. You know, there there will obviously be some exceptions, and uh, Twitter tends to bring it out. I'm afraid uh, in people. And when you actually when you look at the Sainsbury's ad, that got 3.7 stars. So sort of that's the gravy song ad, um, which was coming in at about number 35 or thereabouts. It's um, Perfect Portions ad, which featured the white family, well, it's actually a mother and uh, son. It, it was as if, I think, I suspect we're supposed to believe that the father had passed away because it was reflecting on, you know, Christmas's past. Uh, th that only achieved two stars. So, um, and maybe that's because of, the, <laughs> because of that content. But, you know, it, it, you can't really separate these things apart. But, but you know, th there's no real evidence that the... You know, when you do this in a quantitative test, that that it's performing any worse. You know, so I don't, I don't really think we should think that people, the general British public, are fundamentally racist. You know, I mean, I think there is evidence to suggest that they are very engaged by advertising um, that features people from diverse backgrounds. Well, in which case, I would implore you to make that really loudly known that what you said about seven of the top ten. Because I, I, th I think the advertising community is inherently quite diverse and wants to do the right thing, wants to lead the conversation. Um, and r removing any, any barriers at all is a good thing. And just the knowledge, you should definitely write an article about this, just the knowledge that um, it, it, it's pro possibly positive. It's, it's definitely no worse than neutral as a factor. Um, because I, I, what I have noticed this year is a sea change in terms of uh, more clients demanding um, gender balance and ethnicity balance in casting uh, and the industry making more of an effort to make sure that in all aspects of advertising production, including behind the camera, there is more equality and fairness. And uh, my sense is that, a bit like you said, the UK population, you know, normal people in that on average are quite kind and nice. Um, I think the advertising industry itself has a good heart. Um, so I, I think that's a super, that's a super learning. Um, and it, and it's, unashamedly a great thing that we've seen more uh, balanced representation um, th through this year, through COVID um, and through Christmas. So that's, you know, please, please be loud about that. So we're almost at the end of this episode of The Dog and Bone. And just like Christmas, we have our own traditions, which we must follow. And that tradition is we ask both our guests to name their most embarrassing or awkward business moment. Uh, Mark, you've done this once before when you were on the podcast before. So I'll come to you in a minute. But let's start with Orlando. Well... Um, I think mine would be a, a conference, um, an MRS conference, where I was asked to, to do a, one of these Petra Kuchas, you know, the sort of six minute things uh, with no slide or one slide. I think it was, it was something like that anyway. Can't quite remember the format. And um, I thought I was going to make the point that we're poor witnesses to our own behaviour when it comes to market research. So I, I stepped on the stage, you know, confident about to pronounce no notes or anything and um i said uh swedish drivers and so i opened with this swedish drivers gambit and what i what i was supposed to say was something like swedish drivers think they're in the top 10 percent of all drivers in the world but actually they're only you know middle ranking or something like this i couldn't remember a thing i could not remember what i was supposed to be saying about swedish drivers so i said swedish drivers yep Swedish drivers. I bet you're wondering why I'm talking about Swedish drivers, aren't you? Yep, Swedish drivers. And so it, it's, this felt like it went on for an eternity, you know, this sort of conversation with myself, with the audience. 
finally I managed to remember to flip it um, and uh, and I, I got back on track and uh, there is a video somewhere of me presenting this on YouTube I think I couldn't find it the other day when, when I looked for it but um, yeah pretty embarrassing for me anyway I, although probably no one noticed but uh, one of those terrible moments I think we've all had a few of those we'll try and find the clip <laughs> <laughs> please don't please don't uh, Mark share with us some uh some embarrassment that you've had to get over in business. Yes, yeah, so, so if it's any solace, Orlando, I, like many people, have done that. I'm going, I'm going to talk to you about three things and then remember two of them. So we've, we've all been there and it's, it feels like the ground, you want to, the ground to swallow you up. Uh, no, mine, mine, mine is a COVID one. The context being, as I'm sat here at my desk at home, my, my, my floor is kind of the filing system. Uh, so I'm actually in a, on a Zoom with Karen Blackett, MBE, and uh, very serious conversation. And then I just had a piece of insight I couldn't quite bring to the fore. And I knew I had it sort of printed out. So I said, bear with me a, a moment, Karen. And I turned around and I got said piece of paper. And uh, the, the conversation took a departure because it was quite a hot day and I'd been for a run. And of course, I didn't realise that I was in my pants. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, she took it very well. And um, but I'm, I'm sure she'll forever remember me. My my only saving grace is that that, that as, as far as I'm aware, there's no recording of it. So Orlando, you're out there with the you know with the yeah yeah the, yeah that's good the evidence if you like. But um, well, far far worse things have happened to people on these Zoom calls. I understand, but uh, perhaps for another discussion. I think we've come to a natural conclusion there. Orlando Wood, Mark Evans. Thanks so much for joining us to discuss advertising effectiveness on the dog and bone. Cheers and goodbye. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the dog and bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.